This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. My mother is a huge movie nut, especially classical horror movies from when she was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. And so when I grew up, we were always watching older movies, usually found at dollar stores and other discount places in the dollar bin. And one of my all-time favorite movies is called Silent Night, Bloody Night, directed in 1972 by Theodore Gershuni. The movie starts with a snowy scene, showing a house in a country setting. And walking into this first scene is a guy that is for no apparent reason, on fire. He just shows up on fire. That's how he just kind of walks into frame. And he's running through the snow towards this house, just sort of a flame, Not really screaming or anything, but sort of seeming kind of unhappy with the fire. And he gets into the house somehow, and it, and it cuts back outside. Um, so you're looking at the snow in the house, whatever. And it's seeing, like, you, you can see the downstairs windows... And you actually see him run past the window while on fire. He eventually falls over and I guess he dies. But I don't think you ever see him again from what I can remember. And I don't think anyone ever mentions him again. I think it was meant to show that the house has a horrible past or something. But it's really just super funny. And even better is at the end credits, the first name that flies past is Adam Stevens. Who is credited with being, and I am not even kidding here... He is credited as, and I quote, the Burning Man. So awesome. So this movie shows the lighter side of burning to death in a fire, I guess. Uh, No pun intended. But this episode will focus on one of the weirdest sorts of fatalities found in the history books. And I know this episode will probably get pretty gruesome for some of you, so... For those of you who are squeamish or easily grossed out, I am going to try and make things as not gross as possible. I will also throw in some helpful cute animal facts when required. This episode will deal with spontaneous human combustion. Cases where humans seem to burn up for no apparent reason and without damage to the surrounding area where they seem to die. This phenomena has been known of for a long time, showing up in the works of Charles Dickens and Herman Melville, But scientific explanations have not always been satisfactory. So what is spontaneous human combustion? What is its history? And what are some potential explanations for it? Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. Tonight's episode, Spontaneous Human Combustion. Imagine you were sitting at home, it's late at night, and you've had a hard day, and so you decide to take a break by throwing back a couple of beers. You're sitting there, and as you stare at the TV, you start to drift to sleep. The TV hums in the background, and as your eyes close and you seem to fall asleep, suddenly you realize that you feel a strange heat emanating from your legs. Eventually, the heat grows into an itching, then a burning, then an almost excruciating pain. You look down and, terribly... Horribly, you realize that your leg appears to have begun to melt from the inside. 
but miraculously the couch you're sitting in and your clothes seem to be completely unaffected. You scream, but because there's no one around to hear, this strange, seemingly invisible heat overtakes you. Now, this seems like a horrible dream sequence, something that maybe was dreamed up in the mind of Edgar Allan Poe. But cases like this of spontaneous human combustion are documented to have actually happened. And in many cases, there has been seemingly no damage to the house or surrounding furniture. Spontaneous human combustion has been discussed as a sort of mystery, at least since the seemingly first scientific account by Paul Rowley in the journal Philosophical Transactions of 1731. I think it's worth going over his entire story here. So he says, quote, The Countess Cornelia Bandy, in the 62nd year of her age, was all day as well as she used to be, but at night was observed when at supper to be dull and heavy. She retired, was put to bed, where she passed three hours and more in familiar discourses with her maid and in some prayers. At last falling asleep, the door was shut. In the morning, the maid taking notice that her mistress did not awake at the usual hour, went into the bedchamber and called her, but not being answered, doubting of some ill accident, opened the window and saw the corpse of her mistress in this deplorable condition. Four feet distance from the bed was a heap of ashes, two legs untouched, from the foot to the knee with her stockings on. Between them was the lady's head, whose brains, half of the back part of the skull, and the whole chin were burnt to ashes, amongst which were found three fingers blackened. All of the rest was ashes, which had this particular quality, that they left in the hand when taken up, a greasy and stinking moisture. The air in the room was also observed cumbered with soot flowing in it. A small oil lamp on the floor was covered with ashes, but no oil in it. Two candles and candlesticks upon a table stood upright. The cotton was left in both, but the tallow was gone and vanished. Somewhat of moisture was about the feet of the candlesticks. The bed received no damage. The blankets and sheets were only raised on one side, as when a person rises up from it or goes in. The whole furniture as well as the bed was spread over with moist and ash-colored suit, which had penetrated into the chest of drawers, even to foul the linens. Nay, the suit was also gone into a neighboring kitchen and hung on the walls, movables, and utensils of it. From the pantry, a piece of bread covered with that suit and grown black was given to several dogs, all of which refused to eat it. In the room above, moreover, taken notice that from the lower part of the windows trickled down a greasy, loathsome, yellowish liquor, and thereabout the smelt a stink without knowing of what, and saw the soot fly around. So, time for our first cute animal quote. A group of kittens is called a kindle of kittens. A group of hedgehogs is called a prickle. A group of flamingos is called a flamboyance. And a group of pugs is called a grumble. A grumble of pugs. The best. (laughs) Alright, so a pretty scary thing, really. So the facts here seem to be that this woman was consumed by some sort of flame, becoming charred into soot, which then floated about the room. Strangely, the bedding or furniture in the room was completely untouched, and she seemingly did not cause a disturbance to the other people in the household, since no one else woke up to what normally would be a tumultuous event. 
Now, at the time, the explanation given was that lightning had somehow caused her to ignite and explode into a weak burning fire, which consumed her flesh, but not the room around her. Somehow, it was thought that lightning could have penetrated the windows or gotten in through the chimney, I guess. Spontaneous human combustion cases actually often are mixed up with this idea of ball lightning, some sort of atmospheric discharge of intense plasma that floats down to Earth and upon contact can cause ignition, from which there seems to be no actual source. Historically, a large number of these cases appeared at first glance to have a few commonalities to them. This led L.A. Perry in 1832 to suggest the following six common factors in these cases of human combustion. Number one, the victims are chronic alcoholics. Two, they are usually elderly females. Three, the body has not burned spontaneously, but some lighted substance has come into contact with it. Four, the hands and feet usually fall off. Five, the fire has caused very little damage to combustible things in contact with the body. And six, the combustion of the body has left a residue of greasy and fetid ashes, very offensive in odor. Alright, I think it's time for another cute animal fact. Every year, millions of trees grow thanks to squirrels just kind of forgetting where they put their nuts. Pretty cute. So, the link to alcoholism has often been taken as a cause for spontaneous human combustion. And in fact, during the Victorian era, it was almost believed that alcoholics suffered spontaneous human combustion as something of a punishment for their alcoholism, being consumed by the flames of hell in a sudden burst. However, it also seems easy to suspect that potentially these people just got so drunk one night that they passed out, a spark caught on their clothing, and they died without realizing it. Other things on that list could also be used to explain the same sort of thing. For instance, that the victims are elderly. Also, the residue and the hands and feet, all of these things are almost expected for a fire. I would think that the extremities of the body are probably the last ones to burn up, for instance, especially because they are the lowest in fat content. Before we get to the science here, what are some of the other sorts of weird explanations given? Well, one is that somehow the human body generates an electrical spiritual energy. Something I suppose akin to a solar life force, which can short-circuit and cause flames to spontaneously erupt in our bodies. Others include, of course, ley lines, where humans are living on areas of supposed high energy, and that this energy is somehow becoming so locally intense at their bodies that they erupt into flames. And of course, there is the forever popular aliens as an explanation. Although why they're choosing drunk old ladies to explode with their ray guns is anyone's guess. Needless to say, I think these other explanations are probably not correct, and overall, probably pretty terrible. Alright, so then what the heck is going on with these cases? First off, I think it's important to understand how combustion and fires work in the first place. Combustion is a chemical reaction, where some fuel source is mixed with oxygen. Fuel sources are generally hydrocarbons, things that are made up of a chain of carbon with hydrogens decorating the outside of the carbon chain. So imagine something like a line of carbons with the hydrogen outside coating. Propane, octane, decane, hexane, all are simply different lengths of hydrocarbon chains, and all can burn extremely easily if given enough oxygen. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. What is actually happening when these molecules burn is the oxygen in the air is reacting with the carbon and hydrogen that makes up the fuel. The oxygen will break apart pieces of the carbon chain. The oxygen will break apart pieces of the carbon chain. And the oxygen, carbon, and hydrogen will then reform to create water, which is H2O, and carbon dioxide, CO2, which are the end products of any complete combustion process. If we want to know how much energy a chemical reaction will either need to happen, or how much energy it will release if it can happen on its own spontaneously, we look at the energy present in the chemical bonds in the species before reaction and after reaction. We sort of do an energy accounting. So, for instance, each carbon-carbon bond has a certain amount of energy inside of it. Similarly, the bond between carbon and hydrogen, oxygen with another oxygen, etc., all chemical bonds have some energy that holds them together. When a reaction happens, we are breaking apart these bonds and releasing that energy. But then we are using some of that energy to make the new bonds of our products. So in the case of combustion, the energy we release by breaking the hydrocarbon chain and the oxygen is used to make water and carbon dioxide. In the case of combustion, it just so happens that the amount of energy in the hydrocarbon bonds is much higher than the energy needed to make water and carbon dioxide. So this leftover energy is released as heat. And in fact, the flame you see from burning something is simply the atoms in the air being excited by this very high amount of energy being released. This also means that there is enough energy for the combustion process to go, or to kind of keep burning, until it runs out of fuel. As I've said in previous episodes, and one of the most important things you can learn about the natural world, is that nature is notoriously lazy. Chemicals like to be at the lowest energy state they possibly can. And so if you have a potential reaction that they can undergo to become, on average, less energy intensive, then that reaction will happen. This is why gasoline seems to spontaneously combust in the presence of enough oxygen. The conditions become just right, and the difference in energy between being burned and being unburned becomes so great that the oxygen in the gasoline will spontaneously combust to get to that burned-up state. But when we talk about spontaneous human combustion, we aren't really talking about the same sort of combustion as occurs with gasoline, are we? Gasoline spontaneously combusts because it is not as stable chemically as water and carbon dioxide. On the other hand, as anyone who has ever cooked a giant slab of steak can tell you, it takes a huge amount of energy to even begin to change the proteins in the meat to cook it, let alone to set it on fire so that it combusts in the same way as gasoline. So then, what is occurring in these cases of spontaneous human combustion? The most widely stated scientific explanation for these events now are what is known as the Wick Effect, W-I-C-K. 
basically arguing that the human body can act as something like a large candle, with the clothing and small items around the body acting as the wick. Alright, then first we need to figure out how a candle actually works. A candle is composed of two pieces, paraffin wax, which is a hydrocarbon, just like other sources of fuel, and the second object is the wick, usually a piece of string or some other material that can absorb the liquid wax when it melts. In fact, paraffin wax is produced from crude oil, just like your car fuel or kerosene or butane or propane. It's just paraffin wax is a really long chain hydrocarbon. The thing that is burning in a candle is actually the wax vapor, which is coming off the very top of the wick, becoming hot enough only at this spot to combust. As the candle burns, the liquid wax is sucked up through the wick towards the tip, where it becomes hot enough to combust and create a flame. So a candle is actually a really interesting sort of chemical reactor, where the wax acts like a fuel source. The wax is heated and becomes liquid, where it's then transported up through the wick due to capillary action. Basically, the wick is hotter towards the flame, and because of that, the liquid wax will become sucked up towards the flame. The liquid wax is then heated by the flame, in turn causing it to vaporize and become hot enough that it can then combust, in turn generating further heat and a flame. The initial energy needed to burn the wax at the top of the wick is provided by you putting a lit match or flame to the wick. And after that, this process of liquid wax being transported to the wick top and then combusting is enough to keep the reaction going. Alright, so this is how a candle works, and some have proposed that this is the same sort of method that occurs via spontaneous human combustion. In this case, the tissue of the body, and specifically the fats and oils present in our outer body layers, act as the paraffin wax fuel source, and the clothes or blankets on the person act as the wick. As the body burns, the fats and oils become liquefied and move into the clothing or surrounding blankets via capillary action, just like the wax being sucked into the wick and become heated to vaporization and then combust. And just like a very large amount of wax can be consumed by a relatively small wick, in certain cases, I suppose that the fats and oils in the human body could be consumed through combustion of a relatively small wick, such as clothing or a blanket near the person. But then why don't the surrounding items burn? Or why doesn't the flame transfer over to the surrounding structure of the home or furniture? And I think it's time for another cute animal fact. When a rabbit jumps and twists itself, kind of like out of excitement, you know, they get really, really excited... It's called a binky. Alright, since the body fat is acting as the only source for combustion in these cases, I suppose it could be the case that the fire will only consume this fuel source, never getting hot enough to burn the surrounding furniture, but getting hot enough to melt and burn oils and fat. So how hot does fat need to be to actually burn? And how hot does paper or furniture need to get? Human flesh needs to reach a temperature of around 1400 to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to ignite, at least according to some crematoriums I called, during some very awkward phone calls. Cotton, on the other hand, needs to reach around 750 Fahrenheit to auto-ignite, which means it will combust simply in the presence of enough oxygen. 
However, beef tallow only needs temperatures of around 400 degrees Fahrenheit to produce a long-lasting flame. So potentially, if the person is fat enough, a flame could occur before the surrounding items begin to burn. Furthermore, alcoholism can actually lead to the presence of many combustible or flammable chemicals to be produced or found in higher values throughout the body, including acetylaldehydes, ketones, and even the ethanol that they were drinking in the first place. The wick effect has actually been tested for the ability to create a low-heat flame that could burn up flesh on a clothed individual. In 1963, for instance, an experiment showed that human flat wrapped in cloth led to the creation of a slow-burning yellow flame and significant amounts of soot. Other cases have included murder scenes, where unfortunate individuals burned long enough to reduce certain parts of the body to cremains, while not destroying the surrounding area. I think probably the biggest evidence for this being a very likely spontaneous human combustion explanation is an experiment performed for the BBC program QED. In this show, they wrapped a pig's body in a blanket in a fully furnished room. The blanket was lit, and although it took a while for the body to ignite, it did eventually catch and burn down to soot. And even more interestingly, the surrounding room was undamaged besides a TV that had melted. I actually found that video on YouTube and put it up on the Facebook page, so give it a look. It is pretty amazing. The video is called BBC, A Case of Spontaneous Human Combustion Part 2, if you aren't the Facebook type, and it's available on YouTube. Even more interesting is that the wick effect would explain the fact that a huge amount of soot is usually found around the body, as well as the fact that the extremities of the body are often untouched. If the body can burn up like a candle, then just like a candle, doesn't it require some initial spark to start up the fire? Yes, it absolutely would. However, I would say that house fires do happen all the time due to sparks or other discharges from unseen places. So I think it isn't unlikely that in some cases a blanket could catch and eventually begin the wick effect. But it does seem that in such cases, flame would need to be supplied continuously. Unless there is a quick-burning fuel source, such as alcohol fumes around the body. And since most of these cases involve alcoholics, then maybe it works that the flames do become hot enough to burn into cloth and start the wick effect. Another option, potentially, is that a small fire begins due to normal means, but upon finding the victim begins the wick effect, never becoming hot enough to move towards the rest of the house, but consuming the body before finally running out of fuel and dying down. And as stated back in the very beginning, one of the hallmarks of these historical spontaneous human combustion cases is that an ignition source has been found, but it is the burning of only the body that cannot be sufficiently explained in most cases. I think that most cases of spontaneous human combustion probably come down to something like the wick effect. But there are cases where things are just much weirder. Robert Francis Bailey was an alcoholic and vagrant in South London, on 13th September, 1967. At around 5.30 a.m., firefighters entered the derelict house where he was staying to find him seemingly being consumed by flames from the inside out. Brigade Commander, so Fire Brigade Commander, John Stacy said, quote, When we entered the building, he was lying on the bottom of the stairs, half-turned onto his left side, and his knees drawn up as though he was trying to bend the pain from his stomach. There was about a 4-inch slit in his stomach, and the flame was emanating from that 4-inch slit like a blowtorch, 
It was a blue flame. End quote. He also said, quote, The flame was actually coming from the body itself, from inside the body. He was burning literally from the inside out, and it was definitely under pressure, and it was impinging on the timber flooring below the body, so much so that the heat from the flame was charged into the woodwork. End quote. The body had no burns except for near the four-inch slit. Even weirder, the house he was in was derelict, without electricity or gasoline running through it. So how did this fire start? And why would it begin or seem to be only contained in his body? This seems to go against the wick effect. And probably some of the best possible witnesses for this sort of thing, firefighters, witnessed this event. I think the vast majority of these cases can be explained by the wick effect. But a case like the one we just mentioned, I think, is still not sufficiently explained by this phenomena. Something pretty weird seems to have happened there. Something that I can't explain. And if you have any ideas, I would love to hear them. Maybe this is a case where the alcohol he was drinking somehow became ignited, literally burning his guts until the firefighters arrived. I think anyone who has seen a YouTube video of someone getting a flaming drink served at a bar has seen how easily alcohol burns, especially on the face of a stupid college freshman away on spring break. But even though you can burn yourself pretty severely by inhaling the flames above burning alcohol, I don't know if it really makes sense for alcohol to literally combust inside of the stomach. Combustion, like I said, needs oxygen to occur. And in the stomach, where oxygen is not present in a huge quantity, I think even if a fire could occur, it would die out pretty quickly. So spontaneous human combustion looks like, for the most part, a pretty well-explained sort of event. But those cases where things get really strange are still much harder to explain away. I think, though, that anyone at home worrying about catching fire while listening to this podcast can settle into the knowledge that they won't just catch flame for no reason. Although, you may not want to fall asleep next to the fireplace after downing a few shots. Thank you again for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. My name is Chris Cogswell. I am your host. For questions or comments, you can find me on Podbean, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and I will be back in two weeks with the next episode. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. 
Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.